Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you. Hope you're able to do something special, and we are certainly all thankful for those who gave their life so we can freely worship him in our country. I wanted to start off by asking you a question to see if you've ever seen a TV show. You're like, Cody, we just came out of a pandemic. I've seen every television show. But I know, but this is a television show called Antiques Roadshow. Has anybody ever seen that one before? It originated in the UK in 1979, a US version made in 1997, where people find these, uh, we call them artifacts, but they find these antiques that look very common and they bring them in to get them evaluated and then appraised to see if they have some hidden value. And it's, it's a really fun show to watch. It's kind of sparked some other shows maybe you're more familiar with if you haven't seen Antiques Roadshow, and that's things like Storage Wars. You know, it sounds really dramatic. You know, maybe you've seen that one where you try to buy a locker, a storage locker that has ordinary things, but maybe you find this hidden treasure, this, this super valuable thing. And these shows have become popular because really two things. First, because it's fun to see value in ordinary things where you're like, oh my gosh, maybe I have that. And that's really the second reason why it's fun, because you go, I could do that. I could go buy a storage locker. Probably don't do that. I don't think it turns out. I think it's actually rigged, that show. But that's my opinion. I'm skeptical. But you think maybe we can find some value in here. And somebody goes, I'll never buy antiques. I'll never buy a storage locker. But really, you kind of look for hidden treasures even when you shop. Everybody does. You, you want to find great value in the things that you buy. And maybe you use coupons or maybe you use Groupon, but whatever it is, you, nobody wants to overpay for something they get. Everybody wants a deal. Everybody wants great value. My dad and I joke, we say, we don't want a deal, we want to steal. Like, I can't believe somebody didn't stop me on my way out because I got such a great deal on whatever we bought. Well, today I wanna to tell you about a steal in the spiritual realm. And even though it will cost you everything, you will get far more value beyond what you paid. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, you do need a copy of the scriptures open because I'm gonna show you some things that won't come up on the screen and you do need a copy of your sermon notes as well. So Matthew chapter 13, we're gonna continue our series called To the Point where we're going through the parables of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, remember, which is a pivotal chapter in the book and gospel of Matthew that's written to the Jewish people of that day. So we're studying this because these are stories that Jesus told, and remember, they are truly stories. I know the Gospels are historical account, but Jesus is telling parables. Parables are everyday stories that reveal heavenly truths that can therefore be applied to everyday life. That's why he's using these. He's using these everyday stories so that people can relate to them but they kind of have a hidden meaning because they're revealing heavenly truth. And he wants his hearers to apply these stories to their everyday lives, these principles that he's teaching through these parables. And you say, why is he trying to hide the truth? Remember, the reason why he's using parables is to conceal truth from those who will not receive it 
but to reveal truth from those who want to receive the truth because we will be held accountable for what we know. And really to be more to the point, we're not just gonna be held accountable for what we know, we're gonna be held accountable for what we apply. The things that we know that we should apply to our life. Folks, this is meant to apply to our lives. This is not meant to just fill our heads with great ideas. This is transformative. This changes the way we live today and it changes our tomorrow and it changes our eternity. That's why I say it's not just what we know, it's how we apply what we know. And that's why Jesus is using these parables as a means of grace to reveal truth to those who want to receive it and to conceal it so that they will not be judged even more strictly for knowing something that they did not apply. So remember, this is all about the kingdom. Jesus is coming as a king. Sorry, I'm doing kind of review here. Jesus is coming as a king, revealing himself as the Messiah, the king that Israel had been waiting for for hundreds of years. And he offers the kingdom to Israel. And they say, we don't want the kingdom you're offering. We wanted you to overthrow the government. And he's like, yeah, that's not really my kingdom here. My kingdom is a little bit different than that. And they said, we don't want that. And so Israel rejects his kingship and his kingdom. So he goes to the Gentiles and he offers these parables to the crowds. Remember that was verses one to three, if you wanna look back at it real fast. After he's rejected by Israel, this is why it's a pivotal chapter. He turned from Israel to the Gentiles. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. So he offers these parables to all the crowd, anybody who wants to come. And the first parable was the parable of the sower, If you'll remember that, Jesus is the the one who casts all the seed, all the good news about the kingdom. And it's gonna be equally distributed, that good news. You You can come and be a part of the kingdom, but it will not be equally received. That was the parable of the sower. Then last week, we talked about the parable of the weeds, that Jesus isn't the only one sowing good seed. There's an enemy sowing bad seed. And until his kingdom come, both seeds will bear fruit. Both seeds will grow up together, and at harvest time, those seeds, the the fruit, the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one will be, or daughters obviously, will be uh, separated, one to his barn, one to destruction. But then there's a change in audience, and this is why I'm telling you all this, is because this is going to be key. If you look at chapter 13, verse 36, you need to see this because there's a change. He goes from talking to the crowds to now he narrows his audience to his disciples. In chapter 13, verse 36, it says, then he left the crowds. So he was speaking to the crowds, that's why we read verses one to three, but then he leaves the crowds and he goes into a house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Graham unpacked that last week of the explanation of the weeds. But you have to understand that there's been a change in the audience. And here's why that's important is because the audience affects the interpretation of the parable. If we don't understand who he's talking to, you won't have a great idea of what he's going to say. And that's going to apply very specifically to two things that we're going to talk about today. So his audience shifts. Now he's talking to his disciples. And I want uh, just an aside, just a great spiritual truth. If you want to know more about Jesus, he'll let you know more about him. The disciples come and they say, can you explain this to us? And he goes, sure. 
do you want to know your Savior? He, he says, come, come to me. When you search me with all your heart, you're gonna find me. Call to me and I will show you great and unsearchable things, he tells Jeremiah. If you wanna know him, he'll tell you. <laughs> he'll reveal himself to you if you want to know. And so he explains the parable of the weeds and then he gets into the parable that we are going to look at today called the parable of the hidden treasure. And it's in verse 44. Look at it with me. Jesus tells his disciples, that's gonna be key. Remember, he switched audiences. He tells his disciple, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. One verse, that's it. And you're going, good, I hope this is a short sermon today. No, this is, this is packed full of wonderful, wonderful truth. So Jesus tells his disciples this parable of the hidden treasure, a parable hidden in a field, a, a, a uncovered treasure that has been buried. And buried treasure was not uncommon those days. They would have very much so related to it. I know you probably don't bury stuff in your backyard a whole lot. But they did in those days. Because of the political turmoil that was going on, people would come in, I mean, it was kind of to raid the land, to loot a house. It wasn't safe to keep things just in the open. There weren't readily banks available that much during those days. So people would literally go and bury their treasure in their backyard. And that's an everyday story. They would have very much so related to it. But I wanna tell you the heavenly truth and then apply it to our lives today. Because the point of this parable is that the value of the kingdom outweighs anything of the value of this world. That's the point. And I'm gonna tell you the point up front, and then we'll unpack it as we go. But the value of the kingdom outweighs the value of anything in this world. And the problem is we don't believe that. We struggle to believe that his kingdom is more valuable than the things that this world has to offer us. But I wanna show you that it is more valuable and then what it means to live like it's more valuable in your everyday life. So let's start off. The kingdom of God is worth possessing as your very own. That's what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. The kingdom of God is worth possessing as your very own. This is a story about a singular individual who finds this treasure in a field and then goes and sells everything because they want it for themselves. He wants it for himself. The kingdom of God is worth possessing as your very own. And we talked about that. Uh, don't miss the personal nature of these parables. When we've talked about even the parable of the sower, it's all based on the receptivity of your own heart. Will you accept Jesus as king? It's not somebody's done it for you. Nobody can do that for you. Only you can accept the free gift of salvation. And it's important to understand, as I told you before, the point of this parable is the value of the kingdom outweighs the value of anything in this world because this is not a parable about how to attain salvation. Because you cannot buy it. 
There's nothing that you can do to earn it. You can't work for it enough. This is not about how to be saved. This is about how valuable salvation is. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not of works. You, can't, you cannot boast. You can't say, I paid more. I worked harder. That's not it. It's a free gift of God, and you accept it by grace through faith, not trusting in anything else, but only trusting in what Jesus has done for you on the cross to be reconciled to a holy God. That's it, and it's a wonderful gift. The point of this is not about how to be saved. It's about the value of being saved and being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's about. And so this man finds this treasure in a field. And it says that he goes and sells everything so that he can go and buy the field. And as I'm studying this, I ask myself the question, why doesn't he just take the treasure? Isn't that a, come on, that's a good question, right? Like, why doesn't he just go take the treasure? Why does he go and sell everything to go and buy the field? Just pretend like you didn't, didn't know and you just go and take the treasure yourself and you go, yay, I got it. But here's, here's what I, I learned as I studied this even more, is that back in those days, when people buried treasure in the field, just like we use this phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket, they wouldn't bury all their treasure in the same place. If they buried their treasure in one place, they would say, okay, I'm putting some here, and then I'm gonna go over here, and I'm gonna bury a little bit more over here, and I'm gonna bury a little bit more over here. And so where you found one treasure, you often found more. And that's why he goes and sells everything to buy the field, because there was more treasure than just what meets the eye. And I apply it to our own life, and I think about this. When you accept the king, you are endowed with every unending benefit of his kingdom. We talk about trust Jesus for your eternity. And you go, great, Jesus is my savior. But you, you gain so much more you uncover so much more when you accept Jesus as your savior. I, I, I thought about Ephesians chapter one, verses seven to 10, when it talks about what we receive as an heir to the kingdom, when we accept Jesus as our king, it says in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set for us in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, I want you to trust Christ and to know him as your king, not just so that your eternity is changed, absolutely, but there are unending benefits. You go, that is, that's the treasure, yeah, but where that was, there is even more. And so it's worth possessing as your own and no one can accept that but yourself. It's a personal decision that each of us have to make. So the treasure is worth possessing as your very own. And if it's worth possessing as your very own, then it's worth pursuing as your very own. You see, the kingdom of God is worth pursuing like a treasure. The kingdom of God is worth pursuing like a treasure. If you notice when this man finds this treasure, he goes and, and, and it kind of sets this 
process, this pursuit in motion. If you look at it, it says that uh, when he finds a treasure hidden in a field, he then covers it up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and then he goes and buys the field. So he has to, he finds it, then he covers it up because he doesn't want anybody else to find it. And I know that sounds selfish, but remember the value is of this personal value of the kingdom, your individual decision. It's not that it's not available to everyone. That would be extending the parable beyond what Jesus means. But he covers it up, then he goes and sells all he has, then he has to go through the legal means to buy the field, to purchase the deed. This is a, he is pursuing. He is pursuing the kingdom, and it's worth pursuing. It's worth pursuing like a treasure. And it makes me think of all the things that we pursue in our life and wonder if we are pursuing the right things. Are we pursuing the kingdom of God? Are we pursuing the king of our hearts as if he is a treasure? Are we pursuing the things that last? Are we pursuing the things that will transcend? Because you will pursue what you treasure. Jesus tells us that. You will pursue what you treasure, so treasure what you want to pursue. Treasure what you want to pursue. You, you know this, and you've heard this plenty of times, but it bears repeating. Show me where you spend your time and your money, and I'll tell you what you treasure. That reveals what you treasure. Open up your calendar. Open up your bank account. Do a quick assessment, and you'll go, that's what means a lot to me. That is what I treasure. Jesus even tells us that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. This is why they would bury the treasure. Catching the, this is the contextual why they bury treasure. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You you pursue what you treasure. Therefore, treasure what you want to pursue. Your actions will always follow your affections. Your actions will always follow your, your, your affections. And here's why I bring up that point, because about right now is where the guilt trip sets in for all of you. And you go, okay, you're right, Cody. I'm an awful Christian. I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't go to enough Bible studies. I don't you know, give to the, the homeless person on the corner. I'm just awful. And that's not the point of what I'm saying, okay? All of those things, sure. Do those things, sure. But if you're doing those things without treasuring, if you're pursuing God without treasuring him, then all of those things will feel like a duty. There's no way that that will feel like a delight. There's, there's no way that you'll find any joy in those things. And so I could sit here and beat you up and go pursue Christ, pursue Christ, read your Bible more, you know, love one another more, forgive each other more, which just sounds so loving, I know, you know? And you go, okay, 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 fine, fine, fine. And you'll do it and you'll do it and then eventually you'll give up. 
because you'll just go, Cody, it just feels like a chore to me. And I, we, listen, we do not come to church for a list of chores. I, I want you to come to church in order to get a greater glimpse of what we treasure. If we had a greater glimpse of what we treasure, then it would make our pursuit a delight and not a duty. All the things that you treasure in your heart, you pursue with delight. If you enjoy fishing, man, you think about the lures you're gonna use, you think about all the stuff that you wanna do and where you wanna go and what time you get up, and you enjoy doing that to go and catch that fish. That's a joy for you to pursue. You don't go, gosh, I gotta get up early, gotta make those sandwiches, gotta get some eyes. You're like, yeah, I get to go fish for that hidden treasure, trophy, bass, whatever it is. It's a delight to you. Why is pursuing Christ not a delight to us? I'm guilty as well. Trust me, this is a wake-up call for me to go, I will pursue what I treasure. Therefore, I need to treasure what I want to pursue. And maybe you need to get a greater glimpse of Jesus today. And you need to go back to that Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 10, and you gotta go, I get redemption. I get forgiveness of sins. I get peace with God. I get, for, I, I get all of these unlimited kingdom benefits for eternity. Why would I not pursue that? Why, why not? And begin to treasure him more. Then it'll turn your pursuit into a delight and not a duty. Because the kingdom of God is not only worth possessing, it's worth pursuing. And in that pursuit, it might mean that you have to sacrifice some other things. But the kingdom of God is worth sacrificing everything you have. The kingdom of God is worth sacrificing everything you have. I think this is axiomatic, but the value you place on something is shown by what you will give up for it. I read a great book, and I probably will mention this a a bunch just forever because it's a great thought that impacted me. But it's a, a small, tiny book by Andy Stanley. He's a pastor out in Atlanta called Choosing to Cheat. And his point is, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You're choosing to cheat something else. And his whole point is, cheat the things that you don't care about, or cheat the right things, which sounds so weird to say. But you know what I mean. If we are going to pursue Christ, it might mean sacrificing some lesser things but it's gonna be worth it. I mean, if you look back at the, the parable, when he finds this field, he covers it, it says, then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Notice this. The joy doesn't come from obtaining the field. When does the joy begin? That wasn't rhetorical. When does the joy begin? When he goes to pursue it. 
It's when he gives up everything for it. Is that not a crazy thought to you? The joy begins when he goes, I have found something so valuable. It is a no-brainer that I will go and sell everything that I have, and I am thrilled to sell everything that I have to go and buy this field. This is not a deal. This is a steal. I can't believe somebody is letting me walk out with this. I can't believe somebody is going to let me buy this field for the cost of everything that I have because everything I have doesn't even compare to the value of the treasure that I found in the field. I mean, it's just amazing to me that the joy he has is in sacrificing, not even in obtaining, but it's in sacrificing, knowing that this is so valuable that he is going to obtain this. And it reminds me, it makes me think about selling out for the kingdom of God. Do we, do, this is the question I've asked myself. Folks, this is as much as a sermon to me as it is to you. Do I find joy in selling out for Jesus? Or am I content to be satisfied? I just want enough to be satisfied. I don't want to sell out. I want to, I want to be comfortable. It reminded me of a, a poem and just the, fir, just the first two lines, um, and many people have redone this poem, but it says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. And I go, yep, guilty. So often in my Christian life, that, that's what I want. Just enough to make me comfortable, like a warm glass of milk and a snooze in the sunshine. And I go, thank you, God. And it makes me wonder, am I missing out on the joy? <laughs> the joy of selling it all, of selling out. Because there is... There is the, the, the few times that I've done it in just a few situations, there's so much joy and freedom found in full abandonment to Jesus. When you say it is Jesus or nothing, that is an awesome, awesome feeling. Oftentimes, I don't have the courage to do it. But the times that I do, I go, why don't I do this more? Why not more? In the joy to sell out for Jesus. It's unparalleled. And you go, well, Cody, I don't, I don't want to sacrifice for Jesus because I, I don't know if I'm going to get it in return. I don't know what I'm going to get in return, and I'm afraid to do it. I, I get it, and that's partly what faith is about. But you need to hear that every sacrifice you make to seek the kingdom will be rewarded. Every sacrifice you make to seek the kingdom will be rewarded. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples this explicitly. And this is why I tell you again to keep in mind the audience, that the audience has shifted because who he's talking to are his disciples. 
That means a lot when we talk about that he's not talking about how to obtain salvation. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. The disciples have already followed Jesus. But I think he's reminding his disciples here by, the, that, by this treasure that's hidden in the field that the sacrifices that they make to follow him will be worth it. The kingdom is not coming yet. The treasure's still hidden in the field, but it's going to be worth it to him. He explicitly tells his disciples this in Luke chapter 18. If you'll remember, in Luke chapter 18, there is a rich ruler that comes to Jesus. And he asks Jesus, he says, Jesus, listen, what must I do to, how do I keep the law? How do I obtain eternal life? How do I get it all right with you? And he basically tells Jesus, I have done all the duties. I've checked off all the lists. I've done my service projects. I've been a part of a small group. I've given. I've walked the aisle. I've done, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And Jesus says, go and sell everything. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And do you remember what is said next? Breaks my heart. It says that he walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. He had a threshold of how much he was willing to give to follow Jesus. And the cost of following him was too high in his mind. And so he walks away sad. And Jesus turns to his disciples the ones who had given up everything. Peter, James, and John left the family business. They left their nets. They were not gonna be fishers of men. I mean, they forsook the family business to go and follow this rabbi. Matthew leaves his tax booth, the very lucrative business that he has, leaves it all to go and follow Jesus. These are people that had left everything. And after that man, the rich ruler, walks away sad because he was a man of great wealth, Jesus in Luke chapter 18 turns to his disciples and he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Every sacrifice will be rewarded. Every sacrifice you make to follow the king will be rewarded. How encouraging is that to those disciples who had left everything and said, this is crazy, my parents called me crazy for leaving the family business. My friends think I'm nuts. I don't even know where I'm gonna get my next meal. And he says, hey, you can leave your wife, brothers, parents, children, doesn't matter. If you leave it for the sake of the kingdom, you will receive many times more now and in the life to come, eternal life. Let me tell you, the, let me get to the point here. I don't want you to walk away sad. I want you to walk with the king. Do you have a threshold that you say, I'll follow you, Jesus, $3 worth, 
enough to get a snooze in the sunshine, a warm cup of milk, but nothing beyond that? Or do you say, I'll sell out? And I'm not just, I'm not talking about foreign missions here. Although God may be calling you to that and there is certainly a calling for that. I'm so thankful for those who say yes to him. But I'm talking about in your families. I'm talking about in your businesses. I'm talking about on your block. Where you say, Jesus, you call me, I go. I will say yes, no matter what. Here's what it'll look like. First, Prioritize building God's kingdom over what you can build here. You gotta prioritizing building God's kingdom over what you can build here. If your priority is building simply your own kingdom, what you can see on this earth, you're building a sandcastle. And in due time, just like the tide comes in and washes that sandcastle away, the kingdom will come and wash away everything that is temporary. If you're building sandcastles, then you will walk away from here sad. But he wants you to build his kingdom that will come, that will never end. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples that in Matthew chapter 16, he says, what does it profit a person if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? doesn't profit you anything. That's where he talks about the cost of discipleship. Leave it all. I mean, you will get back many times more, but you gotta sacrifice those things by faith. And part of that, what, what that means when you prioritize building God's kingdom is putting aside any, anything that's hindering your walk with Christ. It's time to stop flirting with what is fleeting. Stop flirting with what is fleeting. We are so addicted to the shiny things in life. And we don't realize that there's a hook, line, and sinker behind it. And we get taken for a ride far beyond what God wants us or where he wants us to go. We gotta put aside those things. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, don't you know that all the runners in the race run? The race, run in such a way to win the prize. Throw off the things that are hindering your walk. It's not worth it. There's no value in that. The value is in the kingdom. The value is in following him. John Owens, the, the great Puritan, said, kill sin or sin will kill you. It's time to stop flirting with the things that hinder us from pursuing the kingdom because I want you to pursue the king with joy just as he pursued you. Pursue the king with joy just as he pursued you. You see, when we are admonished by the writer of Hebrews to pursue the kingdom to come, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one to three, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are those witnesses? Those are the ones who they forsook everything in this world to pursue the king by faith. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Why do we look to him? Because he set the model. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, don't miss that key link word here, joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in pursuing the kingdom. You see, the reason why I want you to pursue the king with joy is because he's pursued you. Do you realize you are the treasure in the field? You are the treasure in the field. You were the one who was buried under sin and shame. You were the one that he went and sacrificed everything, his life for, so that he could buy you and redeem you back to have you and possess you for himself. You were worth possessing as his own. You were worth pursuing. You were worth him sacrificing for. And if you can grasp that you were worth it, how much more is he? How much more is he? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for how valuable you saw us as. That you came and, didn't, and stopped at nothing to pursue us. Lord, may we understand, just get a greater glimpse into how much of a treasure you are so that we would with joy sell out to pursue you. May we seek first the kingdom of God, not worrying about the things of this world, but understanding that you're the greatest treasure that we could ever have for ourselves. And we can have you by grace, through faith, and we thank you in the name of Jesus, amen.